Hi everyone, my name is Mikey. I'm uh, the pastor of a church called Providence in Sunnybank, but I'm also part of uh, the staff and leadership here at Southside. It's great to, to be here. Uh, we've got a crowd here from Providence actually, so uh, hopefully you guys can get to meet them. Um, we don't have a Good Friday service, so I told them to come here instead and um, meet some of our Southside family. So yeah, um, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into Good Friday. It's, it's great that you're all here and that you all woke up and, and arrived and... Um, and we're doing this sort of special Friday service where we can remember the death of Christ on the cross for us. Um, how about I read the Bible? Uh, if you guys have Bibles with you, you can follow along. We're going to read from Mark chapter 15 and verse 33. Verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was a son of God. I really want us to spend time reflecting on this and reflecting on how uh, the death of Jesus on the cross matters to us today. Uh, if you're new here with us today, uh, if you're new to church or you're you're visiting church for the first time in a long time, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you get to uh, celebrate today with us and Easter with us here at Southside. I'm going to pray for us because I, I really want God to speak to us through this to help us understand why this is so relevant to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for Easter, that on Easter we can uh, reflect on the cross of Christ and reflect on uh, his death for us. I pray, Lord, today as we um, delve into your word that you'll help us to um, not only feel the, the immense weight of um, what Christ has done for us, but also help us to see the greatness and glory of him on the cross for us. Help, help us to see uh, your goodness and your grace towards us through his death. And we pray today, Lord, that uh, you'll be here, uh, here with us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week I was here preaching at Southside, and I didn't even realize, but I kept using this phrase, things that spark joy. And one of you here pointed that out to me. Uh, it be it's become part of my vocabulary because of this Netflix show that was released early this year. It's, um, I've got on the screen for you this, this little lady, um, Marie Kondo. It's a show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Have, have you guys watched it here? Have any of you? Yeah, we got one person. Yeah, great. Um, it's literally changed people's lives, and apparently for the better. According to the show, uh, every episode, Marie Kondo introduces us to a, a family, an American family who hoards, and their home is a mess because they can't organize things and they just own too much. Uh, as we're introduced to different families and their possessions, we get insight into what they treasure. Christmas decorations, uh, hoarding shoes, hoarding um, baseball cards, clothes, etc. And so for many of these families, they're motivated to declutter because they can see how their stuff is impacting their relationships with each other. 
They can see that the, the clutter in their house, it, it, it strains their, their relationships. It strains、uh, their relationships with each other. Marriages, they become strained as husband and wife fight for space and spend their weekends trying to clean instead of spending time together.、Uh, the kids complain because home just doesn't feel like home anymore.、Um, and we see the mums on the show feeling so helpless, so undervalued because they're trying to keep the family together, but there's just so much mess and clutter everywhere. And we see parents getting frustrated with their children because their children aren't taking responsibility for the housework. And it's, just, it's just, a big, just a big mess. It's chaos. And so enter this little Japanese sprite, this woman, Marie Kondo. And Marie Kondo not only teaches them how to clean and tidy, but she encourages every family member to keep only the things that spark joy.、Right? And as family members learn to declutter and tidy together, joy in relationships returns. Marriages improve, children learn responsibility, and stressed out parents can finally relax. And in each episode, the same truth is echoed. We, we learn that relationships are more important than the stuff we own. So declutter, tidy up for the sake of the people we love, and to save the relationships that spark a, a deeper and true joy and purpose to our lives than the things that we own. It's so interesting because so many of the people on the show will say things like this. They'll say, My life can never go back to the way it was. We're so glad you, Marie Kondo, came into our lives. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Marie Kondo points us to the human heart the human heart that desires order and peace and joy in relationships, doesn't it? Now, now, sure, some of you may not be the cluttered type at all. I don't want to assume anything here. So I'm pretty sure some of you guys might be very clean. You can't relate to this at all. You don't understand. You love structure. You love order in your life. You can't stand a mess. You don't need tips from Marie Kondo. You, you could probably write your own book on how to throw out things and not hoard. But even if materialism, even if materialism and owning lots of stuff isn't your thing, you and I both know that there's still a lot of messiness in our relationships, right? With people in our families, perhaps, people in our workplaces, people in our friendship circles. We feel it in our own hearts when the anxiety and the panic rises and the stress levels peak. Yeah, we might have tidy homes, but our lives don't feel tidy at all. Not only our lives, but the people around us too have messy lives. And you look around the world and what a mess. There's so much brokenness around us, so many people hurting, so much pain and misery. That the world goes through day by day. We need a Marie Kondo figure, don't we, to come into our lives and bring a change to, to humanity, to bring change to the messiness of our hearts, to the messiness of our relationships, to deal with the messiness of our world. You see, for a humanity that is yearning for deep relationships and, and meaningful purpose, a deep lasting satisfaction in this lifetime, where can we discover it that goes deeper than the clutter of our wardrobes? See, Marie Kondo comes with this sort of salvation narrative that is so hashtag relatable, tidy and save the relationships around you. But when we come to Jesus and reflect on the cross this Good Friday, I want us to realize that there's an even greater salvation, a greater Savior who comes and restores us into this, the greatest relationship you and I could ever ask for. Let me take you through what happens here that we read in the Bible. It's part of the story, right, of, of that Friday when Jesus died on the cross. And we discover that through this, a, a great cry, a curtain torn, and a centurion's confession, a cry, the curtain, and the confession, we're brought into the greatest relationship you and I could ever have a relationship with our good and great God. Verse 33 At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. 
And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, so the kids helped us hear what happened up to this point in the Easter story. Jesus, after being put on trial, has been sentenced to die by crucifixion. One of the most excruciating ways to die, where, where nails are, are hammered into the hands and feet. You're, you're stripped naked on a cross, a, a, just a few feet off the ground on the side of the road, where passerbys could, can see you in all your nakedness, in all your shame, and spit on you in disgust. It was absolutely humiliating. And so Jesus was on a cross. And in the middle of the day, the sky became dark. And now some people want to claim that this, this was just some solar, solar eclipse in the middle of the day, but when, when there is darkness described in the Bible, we should be paying attention. It, it symbolizes God's displeasure, his, his judgment upon his people. And what's happening here is that Jesus is at the cross, and he's experiencing the displeasure and, and the judgment of God. This cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the innocent one, dies on behalf of others. Jesus feels an utter abandonment from God he, because as, as he dies on the cross, he dies willingly for the sake of humankind and the sin of the world. Yet this is what justice requires, payment for the, for the, for the penalty. His, his life was given so you and I could live. Justice was performed for the sin that you and I and the rest of humanity is guilty for. Now I understand for many that sin sounds like a tough pill to swallow. Me? Sinful? While many of our friends and those outside the church think sin is just about promiscuity or, or getting drunk or murder or, or being a menace to society, the Bible says that sin is something we've all been born with, born into. Sin means we aren't right with God. I mean, those things I just mentioned, they're just symptoms of sin. The sin in our heart reveals itself in, in our anger, in our greediness, in our dishonesty, in our impatience, in our hatred or pride, in our selfishness. But you see, sin itself... That's a problem in the hearts of all of humanity. It's the nature that our hearts desire to choose ourselves and not God. It's a God complex where 100% our default nature is to reject God and put ourselves on his throne. We want to reject God's infinite wisdom and instead use our limited understanding to plan out our lives and to define for ourselves how things should work. We want to reject God's provision and instead of thanking him, we want to grumble and complain against the author of life, forever discontent for what we have, what we don't have. We want to reject God's hand of friendship, demanding instead for the people around us to satisfy our expectations of unconditional love and commitment, but then feel shocked and disappointed when they fail or leave us. You see, at, at its core, sin is a broken relationship with God. In our pride, we chose to reject his wisdom, his goodness, his love and rule. So you and I all, because of sin, we stand as sinners. We have a broken relationship with God. Now that's actually a problem. You might not have been aware of this, but if you've got a relationship problem with God, you've got a problem with the source of all provision, love, of all purpose, of all meaning, of all joy. We've got a problem with the God of order who brings order into our creation. Think about it. If humanity has a relationship problem with this God, there's no wonder that when we look around the world and in our own lives, there is disorder, there is clutter, there is messiness, there's broken relationships, and there's struggle. We've been separated from God, who actually has it all together perfectly. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. 
Not only are we distant, we can't get even into his presence. We have to face the reality of deserving, the deserving punishment, which is the eternal separation from God. That's justice. What we all rightfully deserve for our sin from a good and holy God. But read this. Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry from Jesus tells us so much, doesn't it? The darkness came over the land and judgment came upon him. Jesus didn't deserve this. He received injustice so that the justice of God could be performed. He, he lived a life that, that modeled what self-sacrifice and love looked like. He was in his nature perfectly obedient to God, innocent, pure, spiritually clean, the one who was, in fact, undeserving of the punishment. Yet he took that upon himself. He died so that you and I could live. He died so that you and I don't need to face the punishment for our sin. We instead can be forgiven. We have confidence that you and I won't ever be forsaken. I was reminded of this, um, this news story that happened back in 2017. I had to look it up. But I don't know if you remember this. There was an AirAsia Air flight from Perth to Bali, and it plummeted in the sky 20,000 feet as it took off within nine minutes. And I remember reading about this because there, was, there wasn't any panic on the plane until all the cabin crew and, and the flight attendants, they, they lost their minds. They started screaming, panicking, and acting hysterical. Panic ensued, right? Everyone on the plane was, was, was worried. Everyone was saying their prayers. And the flight attendants, they were crying out, emergency, emergency. And the cry of the cabin crew did not instill confidence at all. Everyone was terrified. The passengers all looked to the cabin crew for confidence, but the cries of the crew meant panic and disaster. See, when Jesus cried out on the cross, it was, it was because the disaster and the death fell upon him. So you and I could have confidence. So you and I wouldn't have to face the punishment and separation of God. Do you see how Jesus' cry, why have you forsaken me, is so important? Jesus personally takes on our mess and willingly dies on a cross, dies on our behalf so you and I could be forgiven. He was forsaken so you and I wouldn't have to be forsaken. What happens next? Verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You see, Jesus' cry tells us he, he took the punishment of sin for us, but the Gospels give us this little detail about the curtain in the temple being torn. What in the world does having the drapes being torn in two, what has that got to do with us? right? Well, it's really symbolic of a deeper spiritual reality. You see, the curtain was, was really significant in the Jewish faith. Behind the curtain in the temple was the most holy place, the holy of holies, it'd be called. It's where God uh, resided. It's where God dwelt. It was separated from the, from the average person. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place uh, where they would go and make intercession with God. They'd seek forgiveness for, on behalf of the people. Um, they would make animal sacrifices so God would forgive the sins of the people. But now that curtain has been torn in half, it says. Why? Well, it's because the ultimate sacrifice was made. The ultimate sacrifice was made through the body and blood, not of an animal, but of Jesus, so that no more high priests and sacrifices are needed. This is huge, right? Because in other places in the Gospels, Jesus says his body is the temple, we don't need that physical building to meet God. We can meet God through Jesus. You and I, because of the blood of Jesus, we can now have full and direct access to God. 
You see, you see the, the sin has been forgiven, and you and I can come before God clean and purify. We can come be, because Jesus was a sacrifice for our sin. He paid the ransom on our behalf. Now, I imagine that this stuff, for some of us, might be confronting. Uh, hard for us to hear. I imagine many of you, I know I do sometimes, have, you, you've done a lot of good things in your life. You've done a lot of charitable and generous things in your life. Many of us, we have good intentions, and we try to be generous, selfless people. You made sacrifices for others. And if you're like me, sometimes you're thinking, isn't God all about, all about love? Surely God likes me enough to let me into heaven. I'm a good person. We, we need to put this into perspective. God is, is so much more infinite and, and glorious than what you and I can imagine. If I put you or myself up all right, against the perfect God of holiness, not even, not even our good morals would, would stack up. It would never actually be good enough. He's perfect. We're not. No matter who you are, me included, I can't stand before God and say, and say God, look at how tidy my room is. God, look at how tidy my life is. Surely, God, look at how great I am. I, I look at myself, and, and none of my good works, though, none of, my, none of the positive vibes I send to people, none of that actually impresses God. It doesn't, say, it doesn't, it doesn't make God say, Wow, Mikey, <laughs> you are so amazing. <laughs> wow, you deserve my love. You know, I, I imagine him to be cheering me on like a good friend. Oh, you go, Glenn Coco, you go. You know, keep doing you. You make being human look good. But this is God, right? And God sees my human heart and he sees right through me. He sees a guy who is deep down proud and selfish, a guy who's vulnerable, powerless, grasping onto straws, hoping for something in life to make sense and give purpose and joy, something that will satisfy and quench us because we're always thirsty. It's time to get woke. <laughs> we need deliverance from our sin. We need salvation from ourselves. We can't keep living, not acknowledging that we need God because we aren't God. We need Jesus, his sinless, perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice to bring us to God. You see, because the curtain is now torn, we can now enter into his presence. None of our, our good works are going to be enough, but because of Jesus, you and I, we can meet God. We're invited. And this always humbles me. Think about it. There are people in the world that are so hard to access, right? You can't just knock on Beyonce's door and say, hey, can we go out for lunch today? I was thinking about Warren Buffett. If you don't know him, he's this billionaire business tycoon. If you want to have lunch with him, you know how much it's going to cost you? It's going to cost you $650,000 to have lunch with him. That's ridiculous. Man, I wish I could charge that to my friends who would want lunch with me. But if I'm honest, it's more like I need to pay my friends to, for them to come out with me. But Jesus puts his body on the line, doesn't he? He's the payment so we don't have to deal with the security guards or, the, or pay exorbitant amounts to dine with him. Jesus gives us direct access. We can have a relationship now with, with the one who is the source of all love and goodness, joy, peace, security, and freedom. That's what the torn curtain means for us. We can embrace that, and we can embrace that for eternity. And we think heaven is going to be some awesome place because all the good stuff we want will be there. But you know what's going to make heaven heaven? 
being in a relationship with the giver of all those good things. Jesus brings us to God. This is the great news of the gospel message, friends. That's what the the torn curtain shows us, the cry and the curtain. And lastly, this confession by the centurion, verse 39, when the centurion who, who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Now, this man would have seen many people crucified in his life. But we need to know that there was something unique about this, this soldier. Something unique about this soldier and this soldier's confession. Something unique about the man on the cross that's dying in front of him. He might not have known Jesus' life and his mission. But at this point, Jesus was more than just a man. He confesses he was divine, sent by God, the Son of God himself. You see, the gospel records this for us because just like the cry and the curtain, the confession tells us so much about who Jesus is, what he accomplishes for us. Only because he's a son of God can our sin be redeemed. Only because he's a son of God can he tear the curtain in the temple so you and I can access God. Because he's a son of God, he is the perfect, not only the perfect sacrifice, he's the perfect substitute to save humankind. But why in the world would the Son of God even bother? You know, Marie Kondo would do it so she can get her philosophy out there, right? She can spark joy and be a household name. She can get ratings, maybe, and fame. But Jesus isn't driven by that, is he? He's actually driven by a love, a love for you and I, to see us reconciled to God. You see, at the cross, not only justice came down, but it was justice and love that came mingled down. And here's what blows my mind over and over again. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Because he's willing to fulfill God's plan for him. He, to die for those who have spent their lives rejecting God. He gives his life up for humanity, past, present, and future. Because only he, the Son of God, God in his wholeness, driven by love for undeserving people. Only he can take the weight of all our sin. You see, him being the son of God, but him being fully man as well, he can represent and be the perfect substitute for us, the perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute for you and for me. While we were still living in our mess, God enters into our world through the person of Jesus. He brings a greater salvation narrative than than any Netflix series can bring to our lives. God, he doesn't do it for the ratings, for the popularity. He does it because that's in his perfect, holy, loving character to the people he's created. He, He shows us what truly unconditional and generous, selfless love looks like. This God is a God who will enter into our lives, enter into our homes, and literally enter into our human mess and brokenness. And he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows your actions, your motives better than anyone else. He knows you and I through and through. He knows us fully, yet still chooses to love us immensely. In his generous and gracious love, he comes to clean up our mess, our relationships, our sin. The Son of God does that. You know what? We don't deserve that love. We actually don't. But it's because of his crazy, amazing grace, he doesn't just forgive us, he reconciles us to himself as well. You see, we're not just made neutral with God, but we've been given a relationship with him. That means you and I, we're not only forgiven because Jesus was forsaken, we're now invited in. The sinner is forgiven. The sinner has a seat at his table. You see, 
Jesus was the perfect substitute. Through him we're forgiven, but we're also reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what substitution looks like. This is why the gospel means good news, friends. This is why Good Friday is good. Not only has the sin been removed between us and God, we can now have access to a deep, joyful relationship with him in this life and into eternity. So we need to reflect on this for ourselves. Do we see our mess? Will we own our mess? Our hearts are stained by sin. We need, a, we need saving from the sin, the brokenness, that, the mess that separates us from God. We can try cleaning up ourselves. We can try and scrub and put in that elbow grease. But no matter what we do, we can't save, save ourselves into that relationship with the good and great God of the universe. But do you see, too, that Jesus, by love, has removed that through his death on a cross? Do you see what Jesus has accomplished for us through his death? And if you do, will you like the centurion confess Jesus is the Son of God? That only he can save you and I and bring and restore us to the greatest relationship that we could ever have? It fascinates me. It fascinates me because when the families on that tidying up show with Marie Kondo talk about how once their lives are declutter, once they have order and structure to their homes, they get to enjoy their relationships. We all want that, don't we? There's order now where there was once chaos. They discover a joy that they didn't know they could have. Their lives are completely changed. But while Marie Kondo can give tips on how to clean up the clothes on the floor, she can't clean up the sin in our hearts. Marie Kondo can't change their hearts. She can't change or remove the sin in our humanity. In Jesus, there's an even greater order out of the chaos and the darkness of our lives. We can finally see that our lives have purpose and meaning. Yes, there'll still be messiness as long as we live in this sin-stained world. There'll be messiness as long as we are in these mortal, finite bodies. Messiness as, as long as we're dealing with other fallen human beings like ourselves. But where there was just a, a trail of, of dirty rags and overwhelming clutter before us, there are now lights that guide our path. Jesus went before us, and he took that mess upon himself. I'm so thankful for Jesus. If you're new today to church or you've walked away from God for years and you're here today because you want to see what Jesus is all about, I want to invite you. Come back. Come to Jesus. Get to know him. Put your trust in, in who he is, the son of God who, who dies for our sins and brings us to God. Come and see that his death on the cross has secured for you and I a great relationship that, that you and I didn't even know we needed but one that gives us everything that our restless, unsatisfied hearts yearn for. See the great treasure that you and I have in Jesus, something that truly sparks joy, not just a joy that will fade in this life, but one that will last into eternity. You and I have a Savior that not only tidies up our lives, He removes the very thing, our sin, that stops us from having a relationship with a good and great God. See, through Jesus, you and I, we get God. How about we pray? Father, Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to gather today on Good Friday to remember and reflect on the cross of Christ. Lord, we're so thankful that you sent your one and only Son to die for us, that because of your grace and your love for us, we can know you now. The sin has been removed. 
Jesus took that upon himself so that we could access you. And we're so thankful for that. And we pray, Lord, that that reality will, will resonate so deeply in our hearts that not only on Good Friday or Easter Sunday, but throughout the year, we'll be able to keep coming back to the cross and keep coming back to the God who loves us, the God who calls us to, to live for him. And we pray, Lord, that, that um, for each of us here at church today, Lord, uh, we'll not only remember that deeply, but we'll live that out because you're a God worthy of living for. We do pray for this in your son's name. Amen.